Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Managing editor Brendan Slaughter joined by recruiting analyst Jared Hallis and joined this week by Beaver's Edge subscriber Ty Boyce. Ty, thanks for joining us. You go by Post 5 Beav on the Beaver'sEdge.com board. We appreciate you joining us. What's up, Beaver Nation? This is awesome. I'm excited to be here. We're back with another edition of the Edge podcast. Again, last week we caught up with Beaver's Edge publisher Mike Singer. Jared, that was a great conversation. We're back here again. Obviously, some uh, some new circumstances. We'll kind of dive into uh, all the news that's broken since our last podcast, kind of more the doom and gloom news a little bit, but we've got some positives to talk about as well. But I want to start with you, Ty. Just kind of uh, give us your background a little bit, uh, you know, your experience with Oregon State, and then we'll kind of go from there. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, guys, for having me on. This is, uh, this is, I'm a diehard. So anything like this where you can interact with you two guys, you guys do a great job, by the way. Beaver's Edge is awesome. Uh, and if you're not a subscriber, you should fix that because it's a great place to get your Oregon State news. Um, let's see. I, uh, I've been, I've been a Beaver fan, I think, since uh, 1994. <laughs> I think I was like eight, eight or nine years old. And I remember, uh, uh, Coach Pettibone, Coach Jerry Pettibone, um, calling up my brother and offering him an opportunity to continue playing football. Uh, and I remember, like, the whole family was, like, huddled around <laughs> the other the other phone uh, across the house. And we were just raw. We were, like, fist pumping and hugging and all that when, um, when uh, Coach Pettibone offered my brother a chance to walk on Oregon State. So, Obviously, man, I've been a diehard. Uh, I have uh, kind of I come from a football family. My brother still coaches. Uh, he is a, a national um, quarterback coach. He goes around helping um, young quarterbacks uh, just improve their mechanics and and you know and um, and helping them take their game to the next level. Um, and then yeah, Brandon was a, a longtime player and then um, obviously a coach. Uh, so yeah, man, I've been uh, been bleeding black and orange for a long time. Just talk a little bit about uh, your brother. That seems like a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool deal right there. That gives you kind of an inside glimpse into kind of his relationship with Coach Smith. Yeah, it was it was a really really cool way uh, to grow up um, as a youngster. My brother's about uh, nine years older than me, and so you know I was just a just a, a little dude. Um, I think when he finally graduated, I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Uh, and that was, uh, his last fall would have been 99. And of course that was the famous year that we won, uh, had a first winning season in 20 years. So it was pretty special to watch him go through that. Um, my brother's name is Brandon Boyce. Um, uh, he, uh, he played outside linebacker and I think some middle linebacker there. He actually played for three different head, uh, coaches as, as, uh, as it were. He, he, uh, was recruited there by Coach Pettibone, and he spent his red short, red short freshman year and then his true freshman year with Coach Pettibone, and then, of course, Coach Riley, his sophomore and junior year, and then that last year, that senior year, uh, that Oahu Bowl year with uh, Coach Erickson. So it was pretty cool. I got to kind of, you know, get to know all those coaches um, and even, you know, go to all the camps and stuff and spend a little bit of time with them. Of course, having a big brother on the team was cool because he also wanted to parlay his playing career into a coaching career, so... He was always uh, very hands-on at the camps and, and uh, was a player coach there. So that was always really special. Um, but, yeah, man, I got to, to kind of become, you know, friends with a lot of those players. I don't know. I'm going to go give you guys some blasts from the past, though. Obviously, he was a defensive player. So, like, a lot of those defensive players, like Anoki Brechterfield was a good friend of his, Jonathan Jackson, 
um, Jose Cortez, Roddy Tompkins. Uh, I'm name dropping, but this was real. Like, I got to hang out with these guys. And, of course, longtime Beaver fans will know who these guys are. Um, and then, of course, Jonathan Smith. And it was really cool. About the time I was coming up and uh, was actually a high school football player, I got to go to the Oregon State camp. And um, both Brandon and John Smith were GAs there. And, of course, you know, they gave me a bad time, made, made sure that I had all, all the help I need. And, uh, they were just awesome guys to hang out with. They, they both, I think, had really similar philosophies as far as their work ethic and as far as how, how much they loved the game and how competitive, how competitive they were. So I think they were kind of natural friends uh, from day one. But it's pretty cool. No, certainly. That's a, that's a pretty cool perspective, Ty. And I just I have to ask because it's uh... – it's intriguing to me as kind of someone who still learned about the Pettibone era. For someone who kind of grew up in that time, do you agree that Pettibone was really close? And there yeah. were just a few a few plays or a few breaks. I talked to my family, talked to, you know, my dad or whatever, and it's always like Pettibone was close. Of all those coaches in that stretch, you know, Craig Thorpe was close too. But at Pettibone, you know, he helped get the Valley Football Center, you know, built and was instrumental behind uh, – you know, getting that done. What what was kind of your experience with those Pettibone days? Is that's kind of what grew your Oregon State fandom? Well, I actually, funny story, uh, I actually had an opportunity to go to a different junior high uh, in eighth grade. So I actually lived with the Pettibone family. We became really good family friends. But yeah, so they that's the coach I know far and away, like the most. Um, and it's just a Tim and Susie uh, and Shannon, they're just, they're really good people. They're really cool people. But um, to answer your question, absolutely. Like, I think, what well, that was a Rocky Long uh, defense. And then Bronco Mendenhall was part, like, part of that. Um, but, you know, that defense was really special. I think they call it, like, the Black Swarm or something like that. This is when I'm a kid. I'm probably, like, eight, <laughs> eight or nine years old. Um, but they were really special. And then, they, you know, they were. They were controlling they were controlling the clock. They had, they were grinding out that wishbone offense. And uh, I mean, you had like Don, Don Shanklin and, and when they did throw the ball, it was usually effective because they ran so, so predominantly. Um, but yeah, I think they were really, what, what year was that? Was it 94, 93 where they, yeah, it was, somewhere around it was, there. yeah, it was, it was kind of similar to, uh, to this year in that we were a couple plays away from, from, uh, for being a winning football team. And, you know, I think that they went into that that 95 year having some expectations and, and being really excited. And, of course, things didn't work out. But uh, but yeah, I think I think Jerry Pettibone deserves tremendous credit. Um, and everything I understand for Brandon's time with him, too, is that, you know, practices were were uber competitive. And it was it was a, a like a a real brand uh, that valued toughness, you know. And so from what I understand of it, yeah, I, uh, he was, he's a great coach. Um, you know, I think he came from the big 12 where, and again, I'm probably, um, outside my lane here, but I think he came from the big 12 where maybe offenses were a little bit different. Um, um, you know, but I think that he took that, he took basically a ball control offense and brought it to the PAC 12 and was making it largely was starting to make it work, you know? Certainly. And, you know, Beaver fans will obviously remember, Again, I'll have to check my history, but he's got to be up there as the only coach or one of the only coaches to go into Autzen and win twice. As Pettibone won in 91 and 93, of course, 91 Beavers only win that year. But, uh, you know, you kind of look back and, and look at all coaches, and you know, like they had their their shining moments. And Pettibone, one of one of uh, his for me is just a football historian is, uh, you know, beating on Oregon because, 
you know, Oregon State fans will will say for a while that, uh, you know, if you win that game, all else is kind of forgiven. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one that counts. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually have my. I think I, I can't remember if I mentioned it too, but it was pretty. It's pretty cool because my cousin, uh, who was two years behind Brandon, played for Oregon, so they got to play against each other a couple of times. He was a D tackle. Um, oh, very cool. J- Jed boys, yeah. So it was that rivalry was extra, um, extra special, and at times uncomfortable at our <laughs> in our family. <laughs> I bet you know sometimes you get those uh, you see those house divided flags uh, flying high at uh, above garages or houses or even uh, see them on stickers behind cars sometimes. That's uh, certainly uh, certainly interesting uh, when you look at that perspective. But uh, Ty, we can go ahead and uh, kind of transition a little bit. Um, Jared, uh, I know you want to talk about this a little bit. Our man Ty has got a, uh, a comedic side. Let's touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I got, I got to hear about this. I mean, you, you, you gave yourself a, you put yourself on a, on a, in a bit of a spotlight on the board, on the damn board when you were, when you were saying that you have a, a comedic background. So I'm certainly, certainly interested to see if you brought your best jokes along with you. Dude, I listen. I was prepared to lie to get on this podcast. No, I, uh, <laughs> I'm a, yeah. I'm a <laughs> oh, that's what we like man. to hear. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a stand-up comic. I'm like not anything like right home about. It. I don't have a Netflix special or anything like that. Um, yeah, man, it's yeah. really cool. It's basically, basically, I made my living for uh, as an actor for a long time, and because I moved to Salem, Oregon, and that's that's you know to be, you know, basically spend more time with my kids. Uh, that's you have to travel a lot for the nature of that business. So I I just wanted to do something with some catharsis, and so I took up stand-up. Um, it's tough. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, to be honest with you. You, you go up there and you, uh, you go, you eat it pretty hard in front of people sometimes, and sometimes it goes great, you know. So it depends. But yeah, uh, I, I don't know how funny I'm. I kind of figured you guys would want me to give some material, and I have to tell you, uh, Beaver Nation, you just, you gotta, you know what? You gotta give me a follow on YouTube or Instagram and go see a live show. You okay. Know? Okay. I got I'm one curious. for you. What was? Okay. Let's hear it. Oh, go ahead, Jared. Sorry. No, go ahead, bro. I was wondering, I mean, you know, a lot of people ask, and, and I'm even guilty of it. I've said it on this podcast already. I was prepared for you to bring your best jokes, but I'm actually curious. You know, you, you were talking about some of the jokes not landing. What's like the most painful situation you've been in where you're on a stage trying to make people laugh and it just doesn't land? I think it's funny, you know, because like I feel like uh, – uh, in, in, as a stage actor, there's a lot of like execution that's it's even kind of akin to like football, like as far as um, the nuances of a play or something like that. So you really kind of like line up your dominoes. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have um, a, a successful career. And so I, I feel like I hadn't crashed and burned that much as far as like being in front of a live audience. And then when I started doing stand up, there's so much like kind of like recon or like just trying stuff out experimentation and that's the only way to do it so the first time it happened it kind of felt like um i kind of felt like it it felt like uh my girlfriend broke up with me and then uh her new boyfriend hit me in the face and then uh, pants me in front of a big group of people i felt like that's what it was like to bomb (laughs) it's it's pretty bad man and luckily you know it's not like i bomb it's not like i bomb a lot you know or anything like that but um, I definitely, I respect comics that like, they kind of got that hood spot, you know, where they'll go and they'll, they'll try They don't care. You know, it's hard in our area. Go ahead. Go ahead. So on the topic, I mean, you, you're telling me the good, the makings of a good comedian. Now I have to tell you, I mean, 
my favorite of all time is, is Mitch Hedberg. Oh, I, yeah. I'm curious who yours is. You know what? I always like – I'm so, like – jealous of those guys that can do that that can just write the one-liners that can that can construct humor like that because it really is such a science it really is and people that are serious about it they work they work their tail off you know but um mitch hedberg's amazing another guy that's kind of like that as far as his one-liners is a guy by the name of jimmy carr he's a british guy uh if you like him jerry should check him out um uh he's a little dirtier um, another guy you should check out if you kind of like that, if you kind of like that setup punchline, setup punchline kind of rhythm is, uh, um, oh, geez, I'm, I'm blanking right now. Um, fire in the maternity ward. What's his name? What's his name? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, Anthony Jeselnik. Anthony Jeselnik. He's super dark. Like his, he has a special called fire in the maternity ward. Jeez. Anyways, but yeah, but he's, he's dark like that. But yeah, let's see. One of my favorites, um, you know what, man? I always – I really like Tom Segura. He's got a bunch of specials on Netflix right now. Um, and Beaver Nation, if you are easily offended, some of these comics may be a little bit more on the R side. So just warning, you know, stand-up comedy, not all of it's PG. But, uh, yeah, Tom Segura is great. Um, I love a guy named by the name Nate Bergazzi. He's a southern dude. Jerry, you should check him out. Um, and if you want to go with, like, some, some bigs, like, you know, Larry the Cable Guy. I think like he's kind of a neat <laughs> yeah. he's kind of he's kind of a niche comic, but he's hilarious, man. Yeah, he is funny. Yeah, totally. I, I have to I have to say I, I agree with your point, Ty. Uh, definitely gotta, you know, uh, uh, keep keep tabs on who you're watching. But just me personally, uh, I, I have respect for that and you know, I'm curious to check out some of the people because I don't know, for whatever it is, I, I kinda like that twisted humor. I kinda like the humor that when you can see stand up comedians kinda toe that line of you know crossing a line or making something really really funny and i think like you said uh it is really difficult to do but for those that do uh um i'll be laughing for hours that's just too much yeah, no, no totally and as as a, a newer comic like i'm only like two years in but like it's um it's really interesting because there's two schools of thought there's people saying how how dare you laugh at that and there's other people that have a school of thought of like thank God we got that release to laugh at that. You know what I mean? Like some, sometimes there's really tragic things. And of course there's things that should be outside the lines and that you shouldn't make jokes about or, or that are in bad taste. But like, if you can make somebody laugh, you know, and they can forget about their crummy day at work or, you know, their, their, the, the kind of slings and arrows of their life. Like, that's really cool. That's a special, that's a superpower, you know? Certainly. Most certainly. Last thing I got for you on this point, Ty, have you ever worked uh, sports into any of your stand-up? Uh, <laughs> I'm working on a bit right now. Um, about, I was a, I think I was like a sophomore in high school, and basically I'd got my opportunity to be the, the varsity starting quarterback, and I was kind of psyching myself up. And this is not a, this is not an incomplete bit, but basically I had a, I was playing for, you know, I was playing for a small school. Uh, um, called Gold Beach High School. It's in Southern Oregon, and uh, I remember this dad. We're going, we're in this, uh, we're we're in this small town, and this dad on the sideline, uh, he said something. He said something about how skinny my legs were, and this was like the coin toss. And so I had socked myself up, being like, "Yeah, man, I can do this. I can do this." And I think he said something like this. He's like, uh, "Hey, look at number 11. 
<laughs> he looks like he's riding a goose. Look at those skinny legs. And I remember just all my confidence just – I don't know how <laughs> all my confidence just left my body at that point in time. All the blood rushed out of my body. I don't know how it's going to turn out into a bit if I ever tell that story on stage. But, yeah, that's about <laughs> – that's one of my more humbling experiences in any scenario. <laughs> Certainly a, uh, an interesting story nonetheless. That's a, that's a, that's a cool uh... – Cool memory that you'll have, certainly, and uh, we appreciate uh, you telling us kind of that aspect of your life. It's a, it's a very cool thing that we don't always get to see when we interact with you guys on the damn board, and that's uh, something we love to hear and something I'm sure the subscribers will love to hear as well. So we just want to remind everyone, uh, welcome back to the Edge podcast. Managing editor Brendan Slaughter alongside recruiting analyst Jared Hallis, and we're joined by Beaver's Edge premium subscriber Ty Boyce joining us here on the Edge podcast. Let's go ahead and kind of dive into uh, the newsy news stuff of the week, and that's the announcement from the Pac-12 Conference. They joined the Big Ten in canceling fall sports uh, in the 2020 calendar year. Uh, for now, everything's just kind of tabled. The uh, can has been kicked down the road, so to speak. Uh, Ty, I just want to know what your first reaction was to all this news, and uh, then, Jared, uh, your, your reaction is you are still in an area where football is moving ahead. For sure. It, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to put it any other way. It stinks, you know. But I think you got to support the presidents for for making what they believe is the right choice for the student athletes and stuff. I definitely, um, I'll keep this brief because I got a question for you guys as far as, as some of that, you know, that trepidation with potential transfers. But anyways, yeah, it's sure. it sucks, man. It totally sucks. But um. You got to think that they're making the right choice uh, long term, and hopefully it works out that we can have some semblance of football in the in the spring. Absolutely, for me, I mean, being down here, I, I kind of have to agree with that. It it certainly sucked uh, to to watch it happen, and I, I truly hate it for for all parties involved. And we talked about this in the mailbag uh, a little bit, but to kind of say, I mean, it, it, you know, no. Whether the decision that was, was right or wrong at this time, um, it's definitely you know they're playing it safe. And you know, growing up, you always hear it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, so I mean, it absolutely sucks. It's uh, something that everybody, certainly everybody on the damn board, um, you know, for it, from from the very last snap of the season all the way to the first, you know, we're we're sitting here talking about football, and and that's why we do this. We love the game. Um, but, you know, it is it is a bad situation. But as we mentioned again on the mailbag, it's something that we're going to have to get through and we're going to make the most of it. Certainly. And, you know, just from my perspective, uh, you know, being uh, pretty plugged in both with, you know, my job for Beaver's Edge and then uh, uh, producing for a local radio show on uh, Rip City Radio. Um you know, this was something that I saw coming. I mean, not to, you know, throw a bunch of water on a situation, but uh, as soon as I started hearing that the Pac-12 medical advisory board had started talking about um, myocarditis, which is obviously the um, uh, heart kind of um, situation that can happen as a result of being exposed to COVID-19. And once I kind of started to learn more about that situation, I knew this was an inevitable course of action just based on where we are as a uh, as a society right now at least on the west coast and how you know these pac-12 
officials are thinking and, you know, um, right or wrong, you know, it's my opinion. And I think it's, it was the best decision for the student athletes health. And when I got a chance to, uh, talk to Jonathan Smith and Scott Barnes earlier this week, there was no, there was no trepidation. There was no, you know, you, it was no Jonathan Smith, you know, coming out like Scott Frost, for instance, and saying, no, no, we're still going to play. There was, there was none of that. It was even, you know, dare I say, jumping into it, listening a little bit to um, Mario Cristobal, same thing, same kind of thing, all lockstep and in line. So when I see that all these 12 schools in the Pac-12 came together and made this decision collectively and all agree, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in support of it because who am I to judge? They're there. They know the situation. And, uh, yeah, I think more than anything, um, it's something that we have to deal with and something that I think is going to continue to evolve. But nevertheless, uh, a very unique situation. Um, I guess just kind of uh, uh, over to you, Ty, what was your uh, what was your thought uh, that you were going to ask, uh, Jared? Well, it's interesting to me, like we've already kind of heard rumblings about this and it could be just nervous fans. But like you look at a guy like um, Pamela Rashid or like, uh, um, I don't know, players that that legitimately have a chance to go play at the next level and make money doing so like that's so that's so scary like i i don't i kind of wonder what like the ncaa is going to do as far as that because that seems it almost seems to be punishing a school in um you know and again i don't want to take anything away from uh, those conferences that are like they made the choice to go forward and explore their options but it also it would feel kind of like a punishment in I don't, I don't know, and I, I know it's, it's a complicated, um, it's a complicated thing to consider. But like, what do you do with NCA? Do you, do you, do you those kids to transfer that, that where where their school or their conference isn't getting an opportunity to play football, or what do you do? Like, you know, that's where it's interesting. I mean, like, are you helping them create other avenues? Like, how's that, how's that going to work out? Yeah, I mean, for me, again, just seeing the headlines kind of come across this week, you know, when I hear, you know, the, I forget who exactly it was from some, um, one of the doctors on one of these, uh, medical advisory boards might've been on the NCA advisory board say that right now college football is the Titanic and everyone's arguing about what time the band is going to play. Absolutely yeah. No kidding. Fri- absolutely frightens the, the, you know, living heck out of me in the sense that, there's it just reaffirmed to me college football has no leadership and that's pretty much to me where this conversation starts and finishes you know i've said it over and over again jared and i've said it on previous podcasts why is you know the nba nhl and uh, mlb to an extent working because within reason they have a tiered of leadership they made decisions they took the proper protocols and they're succeeding now in college football where you have Mark Emmert, head of the NCAA, who came out today and basically said, well, here's what we would do, but we're powerless to do anything over Division One football. That's a problem. What is the NCAA getting huh. paid for? I mean, the lack of leadership, the lack of cohesiveness is where we are right now. And at the end of the day, um, you know, you talk about fans or whatever that are frustrated with, you know, maybe the Pac-12's decision. I don't look at it like that. Look at college football as a whole and blame the leadership for the situation uh, that's in right now. Because again, in my, you know, my opinion, you know, it's, it's complex, it's moving parts. But as I look at it, you know, once this ground was laid in March and we saw everything come to a halt, 
We saw, you know, you know, we saw the professional sports start to make their calculated efforts towards, okay, how are we going to coexist with this virus? Compared to, I believe, college football, I think they took more of a, we'll be better off in September, and I don't think they necessarily took the proper steps needed uh, early on. And by the time, uh, you know, all this information kind of started coming to them, um, you know, I, I think two of the conferences in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, um, got a little, you know, uh, jumped the gun maybe a little bit. Um, but I can't blame them in the sense that when the medical information handed to them, it's real and it comes down to, you know, liability beyond anything else. And, and that's where I think we're really headed for an impasse in college football. Um, you know, the, uh, we, someone asked Scott Barnes on the zoom earlier this week, Oregon state athletic director, you know, if the SEC or ACC or big 12, you know, get through a season any way, shape or form. What will that do to the Pac-12, the Big Ten? And he answered that question as firm as I've ever heard him answer a question, saying, you talked about wanting to get through a season with any way, shape, or form. That wasn't what we wanted. He said, we didn't want positive cases. We didn't want to limp through a season. So, you know, I just kind of think that's that's the difference. Um, we know football is as thick as blood in the South, uh, compared to maybe a little bit differently up here on the West Coast. And I think that has a part to do with it. But, uh, you know, we're just at an impasse in college football where we kind of just have to see where the chips fall because the future is more uncertain than ever, in my opinion. You made a great point there, and I think you pretty much covered all the bases. But one thing that really stood out to me, you know, just from watching everything unfold, and and you did touch on it, was just the fact that, you know, we're speaking on leadership, and it it seemed as if, you know, when when things did start happening back in in March – and uh, around that, it was almost like you said, there was hope to better September when the season rolls around. And it's as if there was no thought whatsoever that that would All of a sudden, so it is a frustrating thing, and it, it, it sucks that. You know, it had to be like this, but I wish. Yeah, it is definitely taking place down here. So it's like, they're basically, if we don't have football, we're going into a depression. That's almost out of right now. It's definitely different, um, and it is, you know, it is a, a very tough decision to make regardless. And I think it's easier to contain just, I mean, professionally, that's what they like. I think these coaches athletes, not everybody thinking to do this. So the bubble situation, while potentially possible, it's going to be a lot more difficult to figure that out. To answer your question a little bit, Ty, I don't as far as coaching goes, you know, if you see ACC or the Big 12 do decide to carry on already. It truly has happened already. We've had coaches calling guys from the Pac-12 and, and uh, the Big 10. And I wouldn't even be surprised if, if Hamilcar was a guy that's been called uh, at this point. But the fact of the matter is not all these schools, you know, there's a lot more good players out there who aren't playing uh, than there is available scholarship spots on these other teams. So while you may see a, a couple of scenarios, I don't think it's going to be a deal where like 
every single good player on every team that isn't playing gets poached. Yeah, you well, you also hope that like they're given some kind of subsequent opportunity to continue to play. Like, I mean, you know, he had an opportunity to, to enter the draft and probably would have been uh, selected, um, you know, lucratively as far as an outside linebacker goes. Uh, but he, you know, he he had nothing but to gain for returning to school and playing his senior year. And it's just it it would be unfortunate if that was not rewarded and not only that it's just that we didn't find a way for you know like these student athletes to play the game that that would that would that would be a real bummer you know yeah the perspective on that tie that i i kind of take is that you know um i was pretty upfront with uh hamica when i spoke to him in march and and you know everyone at edge you know that was pretty well reported right before um you know everything kind of uh, shut down when i got a chance to sit down and talk with them and Point blank, you know, he told me that his decision-making process of returning to school for his senior year was largely due to the fact that he broke his wrist against Washington State and would not be able to perform in the Combine, which at the time was February. And that's when I kind of told Beaver fans, hey, if this kid hadn't gotten hurt, he was probably going to go or at least heavily consider it because he could have participated in the drills and everything so on. So I think that kind of played a big factor into him coming back. And if there wasn't to be a football season uh, for whatever reason, he would be the guy I would keep an eye on because I do believe he already has a, a decently high grade if he's healthy. And I think he is one of Oregon State's most, you know, if not their most effective, you know, pro prospect right now. Um, and yeah, that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on, certainly just because uh, of the uncertainty of the situation. I mean, again, there's a wide range, you know, we could, you know, we could be looking at football that starts around at the first of the year. If we get things rolling, could it be longer than that? Certainly. But again, I still believe the or- uh, Oregon state PAC 12, big 10 are going to do everything they can to play in the spring. I don't believe it is lip service because of the pure financial pitfalls that come from it. You know, I wrote earlier this week, Oregon state is anywhere from 50 to 60, 70 million dollars in the hole if they don't play football at all this year. Uh, some schools that's more, some schools that's less, and that's all TV money. So it's like we are seeing right now with the NBA, MLB, and you know NHL. TV will pick you up whenever you play. You know, the August yeah. is usually not a, a prime time NBA time. TNT ain't picking up anything, you know, basketball related in August on a regular. But if the sport is there, TV will pick it up, and that's why I said. I don't think it would matter if the Beavers and, you know, their Pac-12 counterparts started on, you know, uh, a Tuesday or excuse me, on a January or a February or even a March simply because the TV would be there. And that allows a lot of that television revenue to come back. And again, I think that's kind of the the carrot at the end of the stick, so to speak. You know, I've laid out the conference has some options, you know, as far as uh, financial help goes, if things don't uh, improve. But, uh, you know, hearing from Oregon State and Scott Barnes, their intention is fully to play still. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I hope that that manifests solely. Uh, you know, Jared, uh, I think you responded to somebody on one of the threads about, like, um, just the potential, like, kind of smooshing that uh, as far as the moving the season to the beginning of the year and then also hopefully continue to play football in the fall, uh, right. as is traditional. But like how the, the potential for burnout, the, the potential for fatigue, 
you know, does that does that hurt player development? Because you're essentially, I would assume, going to eliminate spring ball. Like, you know. Yeah, you would have to. I mean, there's there's not enough time to fit in a full spring practice, uh, get in your workouts, get a season in, then turn around in what would be essentially no time to, to get summer workouts in. Then you have fall camp. It's like they would be going nonstop for the entire year and then some for the teams that, that make it to the playoff. Uh, so, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just hard to think about that happening. You know, these guys are used to having a, a fair amount of time off in between seasons and, uh, and stuff like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, like kind of like I was saying about the bubble, for a lot of these guys, this isn't going to be their living. So to ask them to commit every single day for an entire year to that, uh, it's going to be difficult. And you'll see a lot of turnover, I think, if that happens as well. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, just kind of uh, speaking uh, over to your point, uh, I just want to touch base on this as we kind of start to wrap up the podcast. Uh, I want to grab your thoughts. You posted a story today as we're recording this on a Friday. We posted uh, on Saturday. Um, Just kind of uh, your story on Ben Gregg, a a big-time prospect for uh, men's basketball, 2021 four-star uh, can you kind of just uh, take us through him a little bit? Um, my inclination that I've kind of got through this whole thing was Oregon State was considered a bit of a long shot, but I know they've made a late push. And to be honest, I think they have a, an impressive kind of bit of shooters. I think they've done a good job recruiting to kind of, hey, if you came here, this is what would be around you potentially. Um but uh, he's an elite prospect, and he's got a lot of suitors. Kind of take us through what you're thinking there. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's definitely – it really all depends on what you consider uh, the start of his recruitment as far as making a late push goes. Oregon State's been involved for, for a little bit of time. And I've even – you know, I've, I've, from my understanding, Oregon State's been pretty thoroughly involved here. And, I mean, you, you have to identify a kid like this early on you know, because you see him in the – he's an in-state prospect. He's one of the best players in the state seen for a long time. So you have to identify like this as early as possible. And I think they did a good job of doing that. Uh, of course, I wasn't around back then, but just kind of in reading everything that's been reported on up to this point. Uh, and then obviously – uh, it, it seems that they've done a really great job. And for a while there, I, I definitely think that, that Oregon State, you know, if you were to commit – Let's say last fall, I think it'd be a beaver. But because he is a top prospect, that generally is not the way to go. And I see that there's been a lot of in, and even as recently as you know a few. Years. And, and these guys are, you know, they're serious contenders. You have schools like Arizona, some awesome basketball players. Uh, you know, Cal, Texas, 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 that's turning into a great. Texas, I mean, come on. Uh, Washington, there's a lot of great schools on here. And uh, Oregon State's definitely got some. But I mentioned in the story that there's probably going to be a lot to happen. Not quite a month, but over the next three to four. Uh, as these teams make these last pushes and hope uh, you know, somebody who could be a program changer. Certainly, I, I could certainly see him being, you know, that kind of a program changing guy, Jared. And, and as I mentioned, the Beavers have done a nice job kind of surrounding some good guards, some good wings. And I kind of see him as potentially, uh, you know, he could be the, the capstone, kind of 
as they kind of put put guys together. But uh, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Wayne Tinkle and Co. have certainly been hot on the recruiting trail, but uh, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. And uh, again, that uh, that day, Ben Gregg, you know, announcing uh, that he's going to be deciding uh, on September 9th between a, a bevy of schools. So um, yeah, we'll have to see how that shakes out. Uh, Jared, any uh, any last thoughts from you, or Ty, any last thoughts from you before we wrap up? Uh, I think we pretty much covered pretty much most of the newsy stuff that that's been going on. I mean, there's uh, obviously with, with the news, I just wanted to to be known that we're not going to stop over at BeaversEdge.com. There there's still going to be uh, you know daily stories, daily content. We're going to have a lot of ideas, and and we appreciate the ideas that, that the subscribers have given us to this point. We're definitely going to be exploring uh, some of those options, and uh, just know that although there's not going to be a fall football season. Um, that that doesn't really change a lot for us as far as the the amount of work we're gonna put in, and uh, I just I would love to see everybody stick around because like I like I said, if you want to be the most informed Oregon State fan and the most up to date and uh, have the most inside information and in, in your fan group, your family, whatever it may be, then if you're on Beaver's Edge, you're in the right place. Certainly, and I, and I want to echo that point as well. You know, like I said, we might not have fall football, but that doesn't mean Jared and I uh, stop working as we, you know, still have stories to procure. You know, there's going to be conversations with, you know, the Oregon State coaches. There's going to be, you know, recap, reaction. As I mentioned, Jared and I are going to dive into, you know, 21, 22, and then even 2023 kids as the Beavers start to offer them. We're going to have, you know, more in depth on those guys and kind of really try to extrapolate recruiting and then. Also, like I said, I'm going to start diving into, you know, some of the best games, best moments of Oregon State, you know, history and baseball and football. And, you know, there, there's endless stuff for us to for, to always get to. So uh, we certainly want you to stick around, certainly, because uh, Jared and I are going to keep pumping out content. And you will be the most over-informed uh, Oregon State fan. And uh, by the time football does come back, uh, Jared, we're going to have a ton of knowledgeable Oregon State fans. Absolutely. And I, I think it's almost going to be like, super relieving in a sense when when we do get it because you know i i think this has almost inspired us to go a little bit harder so uh we're gonna it's gonna be fun for these next few months we're gonna get really creative and uh i think everybody will be uh will be super ready for the football season once they once they see what we've done and uh ty we want to go ahead and thank you for joining us uh is this let's see jared is ty the fourth the fourth so i'm or third if you don't count mike yeah, third third subscriber and fourth if you do if you do count Mike. Oh no, four no fourth subscriber because we've had Hard Rock, Naz, and Jay Post. So he's up to number uh, four now. Yeah, wow, dude, I'm I'm in a pretty cool fraternity. I love those guys, dude. Yeah, right. yeah, no, because we because we started off with Hard Rock and then we went over to do we go to Naz or do we go to Jay Post first next year and one of the uh, two and then this Jay and then Post. this last. Yeah, and then this last week we caught up with Singer. So, yeah, this is our fifth uh, guest-themed podcast. And to be honest, this is something that Jared and I are going to certainly try and uh, uh, continue uh, on a, perhaps more of a weekly basis now just to kind of keep things engaged and keep things going with the subscribers. So uh, we certainly uh, certainly appreciate uh, all y'all's support and uh, appreciate you, Ty, for coming on, giving us some laughs. Uh, providing us uh, with your perspective from uh, sunny Newport on this uh, Friday afternoon. Yeah, Jerry, you don't got to dance around it, man. I know I was your favorite. It's okay. You don't got to come right out and say that. I know that we're all pay the same amount for our subscriptions, but you, you know what? I appreciate it, man. I can tell that you loved it. So 
It was okay. I'll give it like a five. <laughs> hey, as soon as I get, as soon as we get off here, I'm gonna talk you guys and let me do a like a column or a vlog. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, we have to run that. But we're gonna have to run that one by Singer, Jared. He might like that. We're open to ideas, like I said. Oh, like, so I'll, I'll I'll find uh, my Singer's Venmo and I'll pay him handsomely to make it happen. So we'll work it out. <laughs> oh, Mike! Mike! For some reason, Mike his Singer. his Venmo name is like Jared Hallis. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> weird. Okay, totally. Yeah, that's a, that sounds legit. Yeah. Oh, J Money trying to get the J Money. What I love yeah. about Jared House. Love <laughs> this guy. No, I appreciate you both. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Edge Podcast, Ty. We really appreciate it. It's uh, another awesome episode, and we appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, little extended vacation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was great. All right, well, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Edge podcast. Make sure to check out beaversedge.com for all the latest news. Again, we're going to have lots of reaction, interviews from coaches, recruiting pieces. You know, recruiting hasn't stopped and won't stop throughout this whole thing, so that'll be a constant at Beaver's Edge. And then, you know, uh, as we'll start to see, you know, things start to come together. I mean, you know, we've talked about the fact that despite not having, you know, official competition, players will still be practicing in some – you know, loose walkthrough pod type situations in both, you know, basketball, men's and women's, and then football as well. So as soon as we kind of get more clarity on what that's going to look like, we'll make sure to get that over to you guys as well. So again, keep it locked to beaversedge.com. Big shout out and thanks to Ty Boyce for joining us on this edition. And always to my partner in crime, Jared Hollis, for joining me as well. Jared, I appreciate you always doing with doing these with me as well, man. It means a lot. Absolutely, man. It's a great time, and I'm I'm glad we uh glad we have the subs on here now too. It makes it makes it a lot more fun. Certainly, certainly, and uh, again, thanks all around. This will be Brendan Slaughter signing off on this edition of the Edge Podcast. <laughs>